receive instructions. But it's a privilege to be with you. Thank you again for your invitation. And we trust that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now I want to read with you, please, from the New Testament, firstly from the Epistle of Paul to the Romans. The Epistle of Paul to the Romans, and uh, from chapter 13. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13, please, and verse 1. Sorry, verse 11. Romans 13 and 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake, awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Now over please to the epistle to the Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Finally, please, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now we trust that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to speak to you this afternoon on a subject that I think it is fair to say that as a human race we are all obsessed with, that is the subject of time. In fact, as our brother Peter was speaking to us, it appealed to me in this way at least, that if you are going to be a leader in your generation, and as our brother was saying, and I endorse this fully, that uh, the only not the only types of leaders are men that stand up here and men that lead local assemblies. We are all leaders in various different ways. But if you are going to be a leader in your generation, then one of the first things that you're going to need to get to grips with is being able to marshal and manage your time. So I want to speak to you this afternoon just for a, a few minutes. If we get to 1 Peter, well, we'll be doing well. Uh, one of the things that we talk about when we're speaking about time is taking the time. That is something that I do not have the luxury 
to do this afternoon, so I'm going to have to manage my time effectively and quickly. But we speak about it. We're obsessed about time. We speak about wasting time. And then we speak about saving time. We speak about spending time and cutting time. We speak about making time and taking time. If you were to stop into any Barnes and Nobles, you will find a whole section that is dedicated to the subject of time management and at the very connected subject of productivity. When I think about time, I'm always reminded of a little poem that I learned as a boy. It's not inspired, but you would almost think it was the way it's written and the way it's quoted, but it goes like this. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I waxed more bold, time strolled. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I daily grew, time flew. Soon I shall find in passing on, time gone. I love this time of year. There's something about the watery sunsets and uh, the out-of-season heat that we are both having on both sides of the Atlantic. That, that, there's something that's just, there's just something calming about it. The, the other reason I, li- I love it is it's, it's a fresh start time. September always brings around the start of a new academic year. And there will be people that are making transitions and people that are making changes. Maybe some are taking jobs for the first time. And uh, you might be able to identify in your own life other types of changes. And you'll be able to look at this month, the month of September, and say that was a time when things changed. But the passing or the commencement of another academic year should give us pause for thought. And it should remind us of this, that this life is moving on. I remember sitting in audiences just like this. One of the things that strikes me is I never thought I would be up here, but uh, I used to sit in audiences like this and thinking I'll never be as old as he is. And then the moment comes and you look down at an audience that is 20 years younger than you, some of you at least, and maybe even younger than that, and you think, well, it's arrived. And you know that the scary thing about it is this, and any man older than me and the same age as me will tell you this, The scary thing about it is this, is it's just gone, just like that. Just like a drop into a bucket. In fact, so concerned is Scripture about impressing impressing upon us the urgency of time and the passing and fleeting nature of time. It uses a number of metaphors. For example, James tells us, if I might paraphrase a little bit here, James tells us that the passing of time, it's it's like the boiling of a kettle. That's uh, just a little bit taken out of the historical context there, but just to bring it up to date, That's what James tells you. It's like a vapor. And you boil a kettle and there's the steam there. It's there for a moment and you go back and it's all gone. It says says Scripture that the passing of time, it's it's not just like a a vapor. It's it's like a summer season. I remember even this year at at the start of summer standing and thinking another summer has arrived. And in Bista that marks a time of gospel outreach and opportunity. And now here's the close of the summer. It just feels again just like yesterday. And the whole thing is now past. It speaks of time as being like a harvest season. Two-week period in the year. Scheduled in depending on the weather. But a two-week period when the farmers are busy in the fields. And they're gathering it in. And they look probably at the work at the beginning. And they wonder if they'll ever get it finished. And then at the end it's all finished. And scripture uses a harvest season to impress upon us. The passing and the fleeting nature of time. God knows no time, of course. God is transcendent. He is outside of us. But He has created time in order to give us a point of reference and also for this reason, to give us accountability. I am fascinated by time. The more I think about it, the more confused I become. But I know this, that God is outside of time, but He has created it in order to give us context and reference and accountability as non-transcendent. 
and as contingent beings. That means that we are dependent upon Him, the necessary being. In order for us to exist, He must exist. As contingent upon Him, we are governed by and subject to time. And so just for the few moments that I have left, and I am conscious that I am the only thing that stands in between you and your lunch, I want to speak to you just for a moment about three ideas, if we get to three, about time. First of all, I want to speak to you about knowing the time. It appeals to me that the most basic idea about time is that we need to know what it is. Time is irrelevant if you don't know what it is. We all know people in life, maybe you're one of them. Well, don't identify yourself, but uh, we all know those people in life that time is just its inconsequential. They show up when they show up, and they leave when they leave, and uh, they just come and go, and, and it's almost as if nothing is motivating them, nothing is concerning them. Well, if you're just like that, then God bless you. I, genetically speaking, I am not like that and could never be like that. And in many ways, I'm thankful for it. But uh, I I'm one of those people that has to get to the airport four hours before an international flight, not three hours uh, or two hours or what it is. I'm not really even quite sure. But uh, my idea is I'd rather get there and be there and spend the time there than, than well, just take your time and arrive when you arrive. But in this little section, Paul is speaking to the believers in Rome about the importance of knowing the time. I wonder if I could just ask you, do you know the time? You say, well, it's 20 minutes to lunch. That's not really what I'm interested in right now. Not majorly, at least. Can you tell the time? Have you got your finger in the pulse of what's going on around us? Says Paul, he says, because you know the time, that's the idea of the construction there, and knowing the time, and that knowing the time, because you know the time, he says, because you know the time, listen to this, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Now, the, the, the English language, I think, has many extant words. That is, many words that are in circulation and in use. And there's a, there's a very technical reason for that because of the origins of where the language came from. But uh, it's, it's sometimes very poor in the number of words that it has available. And the Greek is much, reach, is much richer. In fact, Paul uses two different words here. In fact, let me just paraphrase what Paul is really says. Is really saying, and because you know the age, because you can read the signs of the culture, because you understand something of the season that is around us, he says, now is the moment to awake out of sleep. What I really want to say to you, if any of you have gone to sleep physically, then it would be a good time to wake up in that regard. But what I want to speak to you about just for a moment is waking up. I fear that we have been seduced. Paul told Timothy that in the latter times, seducing spirits will come. This is a very seductive time. Paul told Timothy also, he says, that in the last days there would become, in the last times there would come people, men, that would be lovers of their own selves. This is a very selfish time. He also told him, he said, the time will come. We'll think about this later on today. The time will come when there will be those that will not endure sound truth. And they will go in for teachers of their own style. They will heap up to themselves their own types of teachers. This is a subjective age. These are all of the marks and the character of the age. And I fear that as I look around, and first of all as I look at my own heart, I wonder whether we need to wake up, whether I need to wake up. Says Paul, he says, you, you Romans are good Christians, he says. You know the time. But he says, because you know the time, understand this. It is now the right time. It is the right moment to awake out 
of sleep. In Scripture, sleep is used as a metaphor for death. You know that. But it is also used as a metaphor for spiritual stupor. If ever there was an age in which we have just been stupefied, we have just been rocked to sleep by an age that is around us, that tells us now is more important than then. That is the biggest lie that the devil wants to impress upon us. The idea that we might delay gratification. That is that we might do things in this world now that will only tell the test of time in eternity. That the benefit of them will only be seen in a day to come. The idea that we should go in for things like that to the world that is around us is just incredible. It is nonsensical. And yet that is the very message, the very central message of Christianity is that we live in this age, not for this age, but we live in this age for a day that is yet to come. And yet we live in a world that tells us that now is more important than then. The message of the Bible is this, is that then is more important than now. Could I challenge you? We always times, we always time, the preacher included. I, I, I would be a, a liar if I, well, you would know I was that because everybody wastes time. But we all do it in different ways. But could I challenge you? I see, and I am particularly burdened about the number of younger people that are amongst us. I am very glad and very pleased to see every one of you. But can I tell you this, that this world is telling you lies, things that are just not true. And it is telling you that time does not matter, that time is an unlimited resource, that time is something that you can just trifle with. It will tell you, it will tell you that it is okay, it is fine. In fact, it is more than okay. It is a choice that you make and therefore it will verify it and it will, it will tell you that it's just perfect. It, it, this world will tell you. That staying in your, in your bedroom or your basement or wherever it is, playing Fortnite or Call of Duty for the rest of life is fine. And you can do it right into your 30s th these days. You know, when I was a, a kid and, you know, we had Super Mario and Tetris and stuff like that. And we used to look at it and think, well, you know, we'll grow out of that. And we did grow out of it because there was nothing really addictive about it. Although Tetris is a little bit addictive, I, I, I do confess. But there was nothing sinister about it. And yet the men that are designing, the, the people that are designing the games of today are designed to drag you in and to keep you in it for life. Can I tell you this? And I don't want to pick on that. It just came into my head. I don't want to pick on that just in particular. There are, you could repeat that for anything, for social media, for Instagram, for anything. You could, you, you could repeat that for all of the vices that are out there today. I want to tell you that you could spend, you could spend the next five years of your life just going in for that. And you could find out that you've got a pretty barren eternity. Says Paul, now is the time to wake up. Why? Because you know the time. It is a time that is moving against us. Here's the reason he gives. Your salvation is nearer than when we believe. There are two ideas that Paul is bringing before us here. Number one, he is reminding us of the fact that we are saved. He is reminding us of the fact that we do not belong to ourselves. He is reminding us of the fact that we belong to another and therefore our life has meaning. It has intrinsic value. That it far supersedes what is around us today. But also here's the other idea. The point really that he's getting across is your salvation is nearer or the day of your final salvation. That is when we receive a body a glorified body, when we see him, when he comes for us. That day of final salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The message really that he's getting across is, is that time is running out. Time is going. You see, we view this world, we view everything that in it, we view this life as the main thing, the main event. Because we've never really seen anything of what lies beyond. 
Maybe I should challenge myself there, and I should be careful in what I say, and I should maybe apply it to myself. We can see of what lies beyond, because God reveals it to us in his word, not in all of the detail maybe that we would like to know, but he does reveal it to us, and he does impress upon us that it is more important than what is here now. But we get very obsessed in this life and the duties of it, and I'm not decrying that for one moment, I have my own duties. We get, very decry, we get very obsessed in this life and we become, we become part of it and it becomes the main event. When we get into eternity and look back, this life will just look like a five-minute period and nothing more. And yet the thing is this, is that what is done in this five-minute period of ours is what matters for the rest of eternity. So says Paul, wake up. Wake up, because you know the time, and because your salvation, the day of your salvation, full salvation, is nearer than when we first believed. He then gives three instructions. I don't want to go into too much of the detail here, but just to give you the, give you the, uh, the, the gist of what he's saying. He gives three major instructions. First, I note this, that they're all plural instructions. That is that he's incorporating himself in it. So he's not giving anything to, to these Romans that he wouldn't give to himself. He includes himself in it. Not only is, uh, are they plural, what he's, what he's also saying to him, he's saying that these are aspirational, but they are achievable. The, the tense of the, the, the way that they're written is, is, is really the, capturing that idea. That these are things that we should go after. They should be ambitions of ours, aspirations of ours, but they're not those kind of ambitions that are just far off and never achievable. They're things that are achievable. That's the, really the force of it. But not only does he say that, the way in which he writes it is he's, he's really impressing upon them that they have to be the ones that are doing it. This isn't something that's just going, you're just going to sit back and somebody else will do it for you or come and do it to you or whatever. He, what he's really saying is you need to be in the middle of this. You need to be the, the person, the people that are driving this. So what does he say? Number one, he says, let us cast off. Number two, he says, let us put on. Number three, he says, let us walk honestly, conduct ourselves honestly. And the other half of that is, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ, copying the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I, could I tell you, the best way to know the time and to live in the right manner, because we know the time, is by copying the one that saved us. Says Paul, be ye imitators of me. And Paul, you say, Paul, why are you, why are you saying, uh, why are you saying that you, you, we should be imitators of you? Because you were a great gospel preacher and you saw thousands and thousands saved and you saw assemblies set up all over. Is that why we should be, be imitating you, Paul? No, 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 no. Oh, well, Paul, is it because you, you, you got taken up to the, the third heaven on an occasion and we should be imitating you and See if we can get a little bit of something like, no, no, he says Paul, nothing like that. Paul, is it because you were, you were a pillar and, and you were the brave one that stood up to Peter to his face? No, says, says Paul, nothing like that. He says, be an imitator of me simply for this reason, that I'm an, imita I'm an imitator of Christ. Put on Jesus Christ. 
This is the idea. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put off the works of darkness and put on Christ. What is the, the force of this? It's, it's a metaphor again. It's the idea of putting old off clothes or putting off old clothes and putting on new clothes. Putting off the old man. Putting on the new man. That new man is modeled in the way in which Christ is brought before us. So says, says Paul. He says, because you know the time, wake up, number one. And then once you're awake, do these things. Could I encourage you today? As believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a standard of behavior that is expected of us. We have been hearing about it. We have been hearing about it from our brother already. And he has been searching our hearts concerning the transparency of our lives. and Concerning that which we do when we are anonymous and when we think nobody else is watching. And I fully endorse what he has said. Our character is determined by those moments, those private moments. And we will never scale the heights. You might be something greater in the eyes of your brethren because they don't know it. But... In reality, we are never anything greater than what God knows about us and what we reach before Him. That standard of behavior is this. Put off the works of darkness. Put off all of those things and go in for putting on our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so much for knowing the time. I want to speak to you just a little bit from Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, it's not so much knowing the time, it's about redeeming the time. And uh, redeeming the time really isn't, it's a hard one to get around. I used to struggle my, in my mind as to what redeeming the time could really mean. One thing is for certain is that once a second, when a, once a moment has gone, it is forever gone. And a moment wasted can never be recaptured. As that verse in Joel, I think sometimes it, that comes into my mind about time wasting. I think about the Lord restoring the years that the, that the locusts had taken, had wasted. And there is a truth in that, in that God can, re, he can recoup for us in later years, sometimes in his grace, that which we wasted in previous years. But he doesn't do that by rewinding the clock. He doesn't do that by taking us back to a previous time and saying, now live it again. He doesn't do that. Once a moment has gone, it is ever gone. And I used to struggle. What is this idea of re, redeeming the time? Well, let me just put it this way. The, the idea really is about rescuing the time from potential loss. Not redeeming the time from loss that it has already suffered, that you have already suffered, but rescuing it from potential loss. That is, being in control of our time. Says the apostle, well, what are, how are we to redeem that time? How are we to rescue the time from that loss? Well, he says the need for it is this, because the days are evil. There are days ahead of us. There are days around us. And they are evil days. They are days that are oppressive. I spoke a little bit about it last night, and I was likening it to dark days. Days of darkness. And I was really taking us back in our minds to the moment that Christ came. And Christ came after a period of inactivity as far as inspiration of Scripture was concerned. There had been no direct revelation. There had been no revelation for 400 or so years. And into that darkness, that cultural darkness, came our blessed Savior. What a man that he would ever come from the heights of heaven and step into this, this dark, dark world. Those sad verses at the start of John's Gospel, we've just been considering them in our Bible study back there in Bicester. Those sad Gospels. He was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He, he was the light that came into darkness and the darkness comprehended him not. A sad, a sad state of affairs as the, as the writer at the beginning of his gospel there, just captures what it was like when Christ came. And if ever there was a time, Paul tells us 
in these epistles, in these later pastoral epistles, as he's writing to Timothy, if ever there was a time that we're in those last days, I, I suspect it's just right now. We're in, a, we're in a time when all types of authority have just been overthrown. It doesn't matter what type of authority, whether it be political, familial, whether it be commercial authority, corporate authority, whatever it is, it, it, everything is up for grabs. People do not trust people of, of, of authority and position. Everything is second-guessed. That's the age in which we live. And if you just read through those pastoral epistles to Timothy by Paul, you will see something, and you'll just be able to identify mark by mark exactly the age of the times that are around us. But says, says Paul, well, what are we to do in that? I was encouraging us last night not to, not to be down in the mouth and to be thinking of it as just pure darkness and to be thinking of it as something that we have no say in. Now says Paul, he says, the days are evil. But he says, the way I, the way I want you to, to, to live in this world, he says, is not, is not now just waking up. You need to wake up. He says, but I want you to be wise. Be understanding. Not being foolish. This is what really captured my attention as I was reading this. He says, but understanding the will of God. I wonder, I came to many conferences when I was a youngster, just think, I, I want to know the will of God. If I was being honest, and uh, as Peter was being honest earlier, I'll be honest now, what, what, I was, what I was really wanting was, I was wanting his mind on a couple of very specific and discreet issues. And uh, what I was really was wanting a word from him that would speak to those, those matters of my life. And in some of those, he made me wait a fair bit. But, uh, well, that's what I was really looking for. What I found as I have read my New Testament is this, is that the best way to know the will of God in the big things in life, what we consider to be the big things of life, is just to be obedient in what God identifies as the will of God in Holy Scripture. Let me, for example, let me speak to you about this for a moment. Paul, in the next chapter to the Ephesians, in chapter 6, he speaks about the will of God is to be absolutely 100% in your service in the world. Diligent. So that in the place that you work, you are the most committed employee. Now that doesn't mean that you're, you sell your soul to the corporate world and you have no regard for your family and for your assembly and for your friends and that kind of thing. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is this, is that when you are there, that you do not work as if you are just trying to please man, but that you do it because God is watching. And so you give yourself, it is the will of God that those of us, in whatever remit we are in life, that we give ourselves 100% to it so that where we are, we are all there. That's what he says is the will of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says something very, very specific about the will of God. He says, the will of God is this. It's your sanctification. That you abstain from fornication. I find it hard to believe that God is going to unveil for us the pattern of life if we're living such a life that is flagrantly disobedient to what his revealed will is. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says this, is that a life that is in everything, a life that is given devoted to him. In 1 Peter 2, it's about submission to authority. In those days, I think in these days where authority is up for grabs and submission to authority is a questionable thing, 
I think the Christian needs to remember this, that we are commanded by Scripture to be in submission to authority. And we might not agree with it, or we might agree with it. I don't know, and it's not my particular concern right now. We might, well, let's leave it to my own country. We might agree with Brexit, or we might not agree with it. But the issue of this is this, that as Christians, the will of God is that we should be subject to the authority that God has ordained. Why? Because he has ordained it. He has put it in place. And whether we think it is abhorrent scripturally and biblically, and whether we think it is flagrantly sinful, that is irregarded. That, that, that isn't the issue that is up for debate. The issue is this, is that it is the will of God that we should obey it. In 1 Peter 3, the will of God is this, is that we should be people that are living our lives in such a way when the sufferings of this present world come, that we are able to endure them, like the wilderness experience that our brother was speaking about, that we are able to endure them with patience. You know, the will of God for us as believers is that from time to time, we will go through periods of intense suffering. We will go through periods when God is testing us. And when God is leading us, it might not feel that he's leading us at the time, but he is leading us and taking us. Says says the will of God for us. These are the aspects, these are the revealed points of the will of God in Scripture. So, says Paul, redeem the time, be wise. Well, I'm out of time. And so I would have spoken to you about not only redeeming the time and not only knowing the time, but I would have spoken to you about spending the time. And maybe that will come for another time. But uh, may God help us. Time is a commodity that he has given us. And if we're ever going to scale the heights of leadership, be something for him, then we need to be in control of our time. We need to understand it. We need to know the time. And we need to be redeeming it, recapturing it, and reclaiming it from potential loss. May God bless his word.